Good Friday. This evening's going to be just a wonderful time of, of worship and thinking upon our Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We'll follow our, our time in God's Word this, this evening with communion. And Pastor Bill will lead us in communion. Um, and if you didn't know, he turned 92 yesterday. So, Turn with me in your, in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, to chapter 11. And let's, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you as your people that we could come together on Good Friday and, and worship you for who you are and for what you have accomplished for us. Lord, I pray that as we prepare our hearts for this evening and your word as well as this, this whole weekend and, and moving into Resurrection Sunday, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that that this sanctuary, that each and every heart within the sanctuary would be filled with, with praise and adoration and thanksgiving towards you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 11, we find the beginning of what is known of it as, as Passover. And you see in verse 4 of Exodus chapter 11 where it says, Moses says, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on, the thr- on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill and all the firstborns of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Now we start with that particular passage, and it's shocking to us to read something like that. The firstborn in every household, whether it be the firstborn of the Pharaoh or whether it be the firstborn of the, the female servant who's behind the handmill, every, every one of those children, every one of the firstborn would be put to death by God. Looking at the history behind this and what has taken place prior to this, is we we see that you you see God's hand moving in, in history where you have Abraham, Isaac, you have Jacob, Jacob's sons, 
You have Joseph who is there who, who is hated by his brothers and he's sold into slavery. Sold into slavery to the Midianites who take him in and, and, and he's there in, in Egypt as a slave. And you know the story more than likely where he's in Egypt as a slave for year after year after year. And God's working a plan to bring him to the place of finally interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams and bringing him to a place where he's raised up to second in command in the Egyptian empire. Now, the book of Exodus starts by telling us that Joseph died. He died. And all his brothers. And that entire generation. They all, they all died. But the children of Israel were still in Egypt. And they were fruitful. They're increasing and they're multiplying. They're growing mighty. The land's filled with the Israelites. And it tells us there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He didn't remember him. And he starts looking at the people and he says, children of Israel are more mighty than we are. They're growing and in the event of war, they're going to join our enemies and they're going to fight against us. And so what he does is he sets taskmasters over them to afflict them with burdens. And he afflicts them and as he afflicts them, they grow and they multiply even more. It tells us that the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and, and made their lives bitter with hard bondage and, and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. They're slaves in Egypt, and they're slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And you picture this taking place to where going from Joseph, second in command, to now the Israelites are there, and they are literally just the bottom of the barrel. They are the slaves in Egypt. They continue to grow to where the king of Egypt tells the Hebrew midwives that when a son is born, that they're to kill him. If any of the Hebrews, if any of the Israelites have sons, kill them. Kill the sons. But but it, it tells us that the midwives, they feared God, they wouldn't listen to the king. And so the Pharaoh commanded his people, saying, Every son who's born, you shall be cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. You just see incredible wickedness here amongst the Egyptians. Think about that. Telling the midwives to kill the the little baby boys that are born, and then going from there to saying every baby boy, every little boy is to be thrown into the river and murdered, killed. Well, we see that God raises up Moses. And God comes to him and tells him that he's to go to the Pharaoh and tell the Pharaoh to let the people go. So Moses and Aaron go, and they say, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. The Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And you see that they become more and more brutal, the taskmasters, that is. And they, they take away their straw. They make them go get their own straw, but still produce just as much brick as before. And they become more and more brutal with them. 
And then we see a series of plagues come upon the Egyptians. And, and the plagues are intense. The first one, the waters get struck and all the water turns to blood. Second one, smites the entire territory with frogs. The river brings forth frogs abundantly. They, they says it goes up into their house, into their bedroom, into their bed, in the houses of the servants, on the people, in their ovens, in their kneading bowls. Everywhere there's frogs. Yet Pharaoh still doesn't let the people go. Then he strikes the dust and becomes lice to where there's lice covering everybody. In Exodus 8, you find that there's a swarm of flies, the next plague, onto the servants, on the people, in their houses, full of swarms of flies. And yet for God's people... There was no flies. You see the, the next plague, the cattle, the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the ox, and the sheep. There's a pestilence that comes upon them to where they all die, except for those animals that belong to the Israelites. The next plague is there's these boils that cover all of the people, these sores that are on the men and on the beast. And then the next plague's heavy hail that comes down as... And just destroys everything. And if there's any animal that's out in the field, or if there's any person that's out in the field, they all die. In chapter 10 of Exodus, you find that there's these locusts that come. They cover the face of the earth so that no one's able to see the earth. And they ate all the residue that was left that remained from the hail. And they ate every tree that grows up out of the field. They filled their houses and the houses of the servants and the houses of the Egyptians. And still the Pharaoh said, I will not let your people go. The last, or the ninth one, is that he, God says to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt, even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from the place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. But darkness covered the earth. And so you see just incredible wickedness that is there Amongst the Egyptians. Plague after plague after plague. And yet they still reject God over and over again. They still will not let God's people go. Now let's think about the people of God here. People of Israel. These are those that are known as the people of God. You Think of those that God had called out. And yet we know that, that they were were sinners. From the very beginning, they were, they were sinners. Noah, even after God destroyed everything, Noah's found drunk, naked. You see with Abraham where he tells his wife, Sarai, you're beautiful. Tell the Egyptians that you're my sister or else they'll, they'll kill me. He... You see sin that's there where Sarai says to Abraham, See, now the Lord's restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my handmaid. Perhaps you may obtain a child by her. So Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. You just see a lack of trust in God, sin amongst God's people. You see Sarah where she, She laughs at the idea of having a child in her own age, at her old age. 
You see, Isaac blesses Jacob because Jacob deceived him into doing it by putting the hair on his hands and making himself smell like his brother and his mom being a part of it and the deception that was there. Coming all the way down to Joseph being sold into into slavery by his brothers. These were the people of God, and yet they were sinners. And it wasn't that, that God was looking at the people of God and saying, yeah, but they got potential. He's not looking at these people saying, okay, I know that they've done bad things in the past, but I'm going to save these people from the Egyptians because they have great potential. The, right after God separates the Red Sea and allows his people to be free and consumes all the Egyptians and the, the, the army of the pharaohs with with the water. You see that, that immediately after the people are thirsty and they're saying, what are we supposed to drink? You see them go and, and, and God provides water for them and they start complaining again, saying, oh, we have food. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. And they just start complaining and complaining. You, you, you brought us here to die. And, and God responds by giving them manna. Tells them, don't leave any of it till morning. And, and what do they do? They disobey. They, they keep it till morning and it, it, breeds worms and stinks. Then they're thirsty again, and they start complaining. Why is it that you've brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And what happens? Water comes from the stone that's struck. We see God revealing himself to Moses shortly after that in uh, Mount Sinai. And what are the people doing there? They see a delay, and they... They come, they come, make gods for us that, that shall go before us. And, and so Aaron takes all of their earrings and, and takes the, the gold and, and he, he melts it down and he makes a, a golden calf. And we're told that the people respond by saying, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It wasn't that they looked and, and God looked and saw just great potential with these people. He didn't see anything in them that was something of worth as far as something in which they deserved to be delivered. That they deserved salvation. There was nothing in the people of God that made it so that they deserved any of it. Rather, we see sin after sin after sin. Then we, we come to this particular passage in, in Exodus, and it's remarkable. Look at chapter 12, verse 3 with me. So here's the tenth plague coming upon the people. And he says, speak to, to all the congregation of Israel, crying or, or saying, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Every one of you take a lamb. In verse 5, he goes on, he says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep 
or from the goats. Take a lamb. So there's this 10th plague that, that, that's to come. A 10th plague in which the firstborn from every household is going to be killed. And they're going to be delivered that night. But rather than say, okay, you guys pack your stuff. You're going to be going. You're going to be leaving tonight. You're going to be going to a whole new land. Get everything that you need right now because we're getting ready to go. And instead of doing that, he says, go find a lamb. And, and make sure that it's a perfect one. Make sure that there's no blemish in it at all. Every house needs to have one. In verse 7 he says, and... Or verse 6 says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So take a lamb and take the perfect lamb, one without any spot, without any blemish, anything like that. And then at twilight, you're going to kill it. I want you to kill it. Verse 7 says, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Take the, the blood from this lamb and make sure you take it and just put the blood on the doorpost. Make sure that the doorposts of your houses have blood on them, blood coming down. Make sure that that happens. In verse 12 of Exodus chapter 12, it says, For I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is just incredible. I mean, as far as they're getting ready to leave Egypt, they're getting ready to go to this new land, they're getting ready to go through the Red Sea. All of this is taking place, and God says, Take this lamb, kill it, put the blood on the doorpost, and when and when I'm gonna be going to kill all of the firstborn, when I when I see the blood on those doorposts, I will pass over your house. You got to think about what what it was like for God's people to hear this. Looking at all of the plagues that had come by, hearing this command come, knowing that God is going to literally kill the firstborn in every house. Them sitting there saying, "Okay, get the get the best lamb that we have." One that doesn't have spot or blemish, we're going to kill it. Twilight, at the exact time, we'll keep it in our house those days, but then at that exact time, we're going, to, we're going to kill it, and we're going to take the blood, and we're going to put it on the doorposts. And they have to be hearing the cries of the people. House after house, every single house. There was not one house that was skipped, we're told. Every house, there's wailing, there's weeping because the firstborn in every single one of these houses was put to death, was killed. 
And them hearing this take place, being there, without a doubt, they, they didn't have nice houses. They were the slaves. It didn't matter what their house looked like. It didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't matter whether that particular family was one that looked at themselves saying, we've kept the law. We've done everything to keep the law. We've kept the law. We were circumcised on the eighth day. We've done everything that we were supposed to do. We've, we've kept the law. It, it didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was that God said, when I see the blood, when I see the blood on those doorposts, I will, I will pass over that house. When I see the blood. It was the only thing that mattered. The only thing that produced salvation for them was God coming over through those that were bringing judgment and seeing the blood on the doorposts. It didn't matter if they were wealthy. And it didn't matter if they were poor. All that mattered was that they in faith, heard the word of the Lord, killed the lamb, the one without blemish, took the blood and put it on those doorposts. It was the only thing that mattered. Why is this important to us? It's important to us because this took place just as it did for a reason. When you picture doorposts covered with blood from a lamb that is without blemish, you might think, why, why that? Why, why that of all things? And the reason why was there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. There had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. You see it all through Scripture. The reason why it mattered was because it was pointing to Christ. It was saving them from the judgment that was coming as far as the death of the firstborn. But it was ultimately pointing to Christ who would come and take away the sin of the world and take all of God's judgment away from us placing it upon the sacrifice, which is this innocent lamb that was put to death, this perfect lamb without spot or without blemish. It was supposed to be where the angel came over and passed over because the price had already been paid. It had already been paid. The blood had already been shed. It was already on the doorpost. And so the house would be passed over. It had nothing to do with whether the Egyptians were worse than the Israelites. They were both wicked. They both deserved judgment. All of them were in a place where the, the angel could have gone over all of their houses and put every one of the houses to death. Not only the firstborn, but all of them had been just in doing it. But this is pointing us to Christ. It's pointing us to, to Good Friday. It's pointing us to where we see Christ 
our Paschal lamb, our Passover lamb. You see in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 where it says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Uses those exact words. Indeed Christ, our Passover, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He was sacrificed for us. You see... This picture is pointing directly to Christ. You see in Exodus 12, 46, where it says, In one house it shall be eaten, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Take this lamb, the spotless lamb, the one without blemish. Don't break any of its bones. In John 19, in verse 32, you see where it says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Verse 36 says, For these things were done that Scripture might be fulfilled, saying, Not one of his bones shall be broken. I mean, you, you look at the crucifixion, and, you, and you, picture, you picture Christ upon that cross, and he's hanging there, and he's got stakes that have been driven through his hands, and he's got... A stake that's been driven through his feet. He's got a crown of thorns upon his head. His back's been whipped 39 times with a cat of nine tails. He's been beaten. He's been bruised. He's been spit upon. He's there hanging upon the cross. And what do you see when you see Christ there? Naked upon this cross. You're going to see blood everywhere. Executions have taken place in all different kinds of societies in all different times. If Christ were here today and he was executed in the United States, it would probably be through lethal injection or or it would be through an electric chair. There would be no shedding of blood. And yet, this was a display. All that you see in Exodus is pointing ahead to Good Friday, in which, as we looked at last Sunday, on, on Palm Sunday, Christ would have been going up to Jerusalem on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And what would have been with him? All of these lambs coming with him. Hundreds of thousands of lambs going up. And then on that particular day, at twilight, they were to be killed. What took place on Good Friday? At that particular time, he was executed. He was crucified. His blood was shed. In Romans 5, 9, it tells us this. Why don't you turn there with me? Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It's a critical passage for us to understand this evening. Romans chapter 5. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Having now been justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. You picture the blood on the doorposts. What did the blood do? It saved God's people from the wrath that was to come. And now you picture the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. His blood was shed on that cross. So that when God sees the blood of Christ on us, the atonement for our sins, he passes over us. It doesn't have anything to do with the quality of our house or how well we're keeping the law within our house. It doesn't matter what we've done as far as building up our own good works. The only thing that matters is the blood being placed on our account so that we are found in him. So that when he died and hung upon that cross, his blood was shed for us so that we are now justified by his blood and we shall be saved from wrath through him. He's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. He does that for us. Exodus is pointing ahead to that to come. We could look at, we could look at Exodus and say, it's terrible. He's going to kill the firstborn in every house. And yet know that God's holiness is such that he will judge the earth. It won't just be the firstborn in every house. It will be everybody. You see it referring to both the Pharaoh and the female servant. You find in the last days that there are kings and there are slaves and they are crying out for the rocks to fall upon them and to hide them from him. God's wrath is coming and yet those who have been covered by the blood of Christ, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. I can picture hearing the cries in the different households and then being in in that house. And Daddy had put blood upon the doorposts And we sat there waiting, and we looked, and our firstborn brother was still alive. Hearing cries that have never been heard in the land like that before or since, and yet you you see, that particular house was saved. Finally, the Pharaoh saying, go. Go 
And so what do God's people do? They go. They all leave their houses that night. They all leave and they go. And you see just incredible unfaithfulness of them as they get pinned between the Red Sea and the army of the Pharaoh later on. And, and, and you look at them where they're crying out again and they're complaining. And God is so faithful that he saves them. Causes the Red Sea to open. They all go through because of the faithfulness of our God who keeps covenants that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to us here this evening. That whosoever is justified by his blood will be saved from wrath through him. You're, you're saved from wrath through precious blood of Christ that was shed. He's our sacrifice. He's our Passover lamb. We're told in Ephesians 5 too, Christ also loved us and he's given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Or, or Hebrews 9.26, he's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Romans 3.25, God's whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in God's forbearance, he passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, the one who takes the blood and puts it upon the doorpost. The one that looks and says, my only hope is not in my house or what we've done or the structure of it. My only hope is in the blood that's been shed, the innocent blood of that lamb, and we look at it as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our only hope is in him. Our only hope is in the lamb of God to where he passes over our house and we know that we're free because the precious blood of Christ covers us. Our hope is in that. We could sit there shaking and being afraid, but the fact of the matter is he's gone by every other house since Christ has died and anybody who was covered by the blood was passed over. What a terrible thing it would be to sit there so afraid that our house would not be passed over because we were looking to ourselves and what we have done versus the blood on the doorpost. Brothers and sisters, as we move towards communion this evening, I'll leave you with one thing. John one i I'll read it for you. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said this. Behold, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for what we celebrate this day. Oh, the faithfulness of our God who is a covenant keeper when we are covenant breakers. The faithfulness of a God who, who is so good to lay down his life as a sweet-smelling aroma, a sacrifice for us. His blood being shed there is he hung upon the cross so that, we, so that we, your people, could have forgiveness of sin, justification, 
be cleansed, have our sin removed, to have righteousness placed upon our account, the gospel. We thank you so much that it is because of you and your blood shed and our faith in you. And it, it is not because of us. It's not because of what we're going to do tomorrow. It's not because of our ability to be faithful 10 years from now or to not complain or to not grumble. We shall be saved from the wrath that is to come because we've been justified by your blood, our Passover lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is a day of rejoicing for us. You've set us free from bondage, from slavery, from sin. You've made it so that we've become your bride, a part of your family. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been placed upon us because you purchased us by your blood. I pray, Lord, that as we come to this particular day, Good Friday, that we'd find it to be good because it was upon a day such as today that you, the Lamb of God, came to fulfill all that had been pointing ahead towards towards you, and, and, to, and to take away our sins. Please, Lord, help us to respond with heartfelt, joyful adoration and praise this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we worship with one song before we part in communion together. Um, the ushers are going to come forward and pass out the elements.